if, if you are attending EBC for a while, you know that we pray for all these things and more in the life of our church. When we pray for others and ask God for different needs, we call it a prayer of petition or supplication, which is typically led by a pastor. And we broadly call it a pastoral prayer on the bulletins. We also pray other prayers like prayers of praise and adoration, prayers of lament, prayers of thanksgiving, and prayers of confession. Today, we will spend some time meditating on a prayer that we find in the book of Psalms, chapter 20, that was read to us by Brother Will a couple minutes ago. And it is my prayer that the Holy Spirit would unravel God's character to us and teach us to pray in a way that can lead us from trust to triumph in our difficult times. And the central idea of today's sermon is, trust God in your distress, for he gives triumph through prayer. Trust God in your distress, for he gives triumph through prayer. And if you are taking notes, we will walk through the psalm in two sermon points. Number one, God is the source of our health. God is the source of our help. And towards the end of the first point, I'll take us through two applications. Call him and celebrate him. And then we will see the second point. God is the object of our trust. God is the object of our, of our trust. So the first point will take longer than the second one in case you are keeping track of the time. Let's, let's open our Bibles now and see what is the context of Psalm 20. What exactly is happening here? David was the king of Israel, and he was preparing for a battle against the enemy. The people of Israel uh, were praying for him. Psalm 20 and Psalm 21 are called the royal psalms. Psalm 20 is a prayer for King David that God would grant him victory in the battle against the enemy. Psalm 21 is a thanksgiving psalm for the answered prayer of Psalm 20. Both are psalms of David. What does it mean? Psalm 20 and 21 are traditionally attributed to King David, even though he is uh, even though it is a prayer for him rather than a prayer written by him. So someone in David's court must have written this psalm, and, and the whole congregation sang or prayed for the king before he was to head out for the battle. This was also a common practice in ancient Hebrew literature where a piece of work could be ascribed to a famous figure even if that person uh, may not have actually written it. By ascribing the psalm to David, the ancient Israelites saw it as a reflection of their own struggles and challenges and were reminded of God's faithfulness and love for his people. 
let's look at our first point. God is the source of our health. God is the source of our health. In the first two verses, the prayer begins. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. The people of Israel are praying for the king of Israel. And what do they focus on? Their distress and anxiety before the battle? Or the king or the ancestor Jacob? Or perhaps God's sanctuary, Mount Zion, or the temple? None of these. We see that the focus is on God on the character of God. He points out at least three characters of God in these two verses. Number one, God is communicator. He says the Lord answers. He is God who does not remain silent. He responds. Number two, God is almighty. God's name has the authority to help and support. The, this character can be found throughout the psalm. Let me also point out here upcoming verses 4 and 5 where God also has the authority to make man's plans succeed and to grant his requests. So God is almighty. Number three, God is protector. He assists us through a situation. He is our ever-present help. It is his nature to stoop down, to reach out to us, and to extend help. So God is communicator, he is almighty, and he is our protector. As I said, this, this character of God is repeatedly magnified throughout the psalm. It is like repetition of chorus between the stanzas. Church family, God's people declare God's glory when they pray. We do not focus on how big the battle is, but declare how big our God is. Israel had a great king and a mighty army, and they knew their strength. Yet, they chose to pray and cried out for help. If Israel prayed for help, how much more should we call out on the Lord? Biblical prayers like this should inform us what to pray, but more on how to pray. So, can we pray a prayer like this in our everyday lives, in our gatherings? Yes, yes, of course. We must pray before we go to our battles and when we are distressed. God, would you answer us? Would you protect us? Honest prayer, like, would you send us help? Friends, we should pray for his divine intervention by all means, but that does not guarantee us a trouble-free life. Throughout the Bible, there are many examples of individuals who faced trials and tribulations such as Job. 
Jacob, David, and the apostles. Their stories demonstrate that even in the midst of hardships, God remains faithful and can bring about good from difficult circumstances. In the New Testament, Jesus himself acknowledges that his followers will face troubles. In John 16.33, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So, in our troubles, he promises peace and protection. He provides care and assurance. In fact, God fights our battles. Pay attention as I, as I read a couple more examples. Psalm 34, 17 says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. In Psalm 24, verse 3, the psalmist writes, It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, meaning God's right hand, your arm and light of your face, for you love them. Brothers and sisters, do not be afraid or discouraged because of vast army of troubles. For the battle is not ours, but God's. What an assurance it is to know that the battle belongs to the Lord. Friends, Israel had a physical war to fight. But what about us? Let's, let's pause here for a moment and think what are our battles today? What are our battles today? Health and sickness, job and finances, future insecurity, persecution, and many other battles. These battles are not unfamiliar. We know many among us are battling sickness. Many of our brothers and sisters in this church are battling long spells of unemployment. Many of us, including me, are figuring out what next. We have brothers and sisters in this church who are persecuted for their faith in Christ. The pain is real, and this battle is real. Today in our second scripture reading, Brother Ferraz read from Ephesians chapter 6, and I will, I will read verse 12 again for us where Paul writes, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of, the, of evil in the heavenly realms. O Christian, what about your spiritual battles? What about your spiritual warfare? The, the war with the lust of the flesh and the lust of eyes and the pride of life that comes from the world, not from God. How are we fighting sin in the pursuit of holiness? 
Are you also praying for these battles of your life? Are you actively hating and fighting sin with God's help? Oh friend, how are you fighting this battle? This battle is also real. I want to tell you a good news that God did not keep standing at a distance and kept watching us in distress. He chose to come down. He came down from heaven and took a human form and went through all the battles that we go through. Jesus, the Son of God, was fully God and fully human. He was tried and tested by this world and he never, never once gave into these temptations. He never committed sin but, but lived a perfect, holy life. He can empathize with us in our weaknesses because he himself fought these battles. Friend, fighting our daily battles alongside Jesus has a great reward. Not just, not just willing, winning earthly battles, but, but the eternal life, the crown of glory, a life with God that never ends. Now let, let's look at verses 3 and 4. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. In those days, the sacrifices and offerings were part of temple worship. The people of Israel asked God to remember all the sacrifices and offerings that David and the congregation had made. Today, God remembers our worship too. Israel prayed that God would approve David's battle plan and grant him success because they believed that the king was God's chosen leader and God's representative on the earth. Israel's heart's desire at this point is to trust God for help. Their desire is to worship God and their desire is to win this battle so that their king can lead and protect them. David was a military leader who, who led Israel to many victories. He's also known for his commitment to following God's will and his efforts to protect and care for the people under his leadership. Therefore, it is pretty evident that David's desires and plans were to lead the people of Israel to victory for their continued safety and well-being. Verse 4 is quite famous in Christian circles, isn't it? Have you ever randomly claimed this verse and said, God, this is my plan, you better approve it because you have promised so. I have done this. Brothers and sisters, verse 4 does not suggest that we can make our own plans and ask God to approve them. This is not a prayer asking God to grant anything that you desire. Look at verse 3. It suggests that the blessings follows the one who brings proper sacrifices and burnt offerings. 
This implies that the petitioner wishes to be in full communion with God. Jesus made a similar point in John 14, 14, when he told his followers to ask anything in his name and he would do it. But, but no, it's not a yes day. And ask anything and it will be done to you. The key here is to ask or pray in his name, which naturally implies that such a prayer will be in tune with God's will. And also, you know why? Because Jesus further says in, in, in chapter John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commands. And further, he describes how he is the wine and we are his branches. In John 15, verse 7, he says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Friends, when we wish to be in communion with God, we worship Him with right attitude. He accepts our worship. This relationship produces godly desires, and we make God-honoring plans and ask according to his will. Then he grants our requests. Remember Psalm 20 verse 4 is not about any desire and any plan that we make, but it's about godly desire and God-inspired plans through submission and worship. So, call him. That is our first application. Call him. Practically, how does calling on God look like? Read, read your word. Read the Bible every day for gaining wisdom and understanding. <coughs> Second obvious thing is to pray. Submit your requests, your desires, your insecurities. Pray when you are in distress. Pray as you walk through <coughs> trials and temptations. But how do we know, Pastor John, that we are asking for right things? How, how can we test the motives of our hearts? What is a practical tip? Well, since we live in a fallen world, our, our wishes and desires are shaped by, by the desires of our, our eyes and flesh, it would be a foolish thing to lean on our own understanding. But since we live together in a church community, the next best thing that we can do is to talk to other believers. Tell them about your desires and plans. Don't keep, them, don't keep your plans just to yourselves. Our conversations in the light of the gospel should shape and guide our desires. But just don't run to other believers immediately. Continue your spiritual disciplines. Read your Bible. Pray regularly. Wait upon the Lord. And then seek a godly counsel. I also want to tell us here that Asking for healing and a better job is not necessarily wrong. God's people should pray for healing and for provisions. 
but we should be open to accept no for an answer. If you are not a Christian and exploring Christianity, let me tell you this, listen carefully. We have a greater enemy, the evil one. He was the tempter in the Garden of Eden when God created man and woman in his own image and likeness, the devil tempted them to disobey God's command and led them to sin. They fell short of God's glory. They were required to pay the penalty for their sin, which was death. Mankind got separated from God and the relationship with God was broken and they were lifeless without the life giver. They were dead on many levels. They were dead in their transgressions, dead in their spirit, dead in their relationship with God and with one another. The wages of sin is death. God made arrangements to temporarily cover man's sins through animal sacrifices. More than that, these sacrifices would, would point to a greater sacrifice that was yet to come. In fullness of time, 2,000 years ago, God sent his son to pay the penalty for the sins of the whole world and to restore his brokenness. He sent his son Jesus to die in our place so that we can be reconciled with God and, and to one another. Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. He died so that we may live. He died to give us life and life in abundance. Friend, if you believe that Jesus died for your sins, then repent of your sins. Jesus did not remain dead, but was raised on the third day. He defeated death. And because of Jesus' Jesus's victory through his death and resurrection, he promises that you will continue to live in God's presence even after you leave this world. He offers you an everlasting life of victory over sin. I want you to repent and believe this message. Would you accept Jesus as your Savior? Do you believe this? If yes, then call Him. If you are a follower of Christ already, our battles are not yet over, my friend. Our battle for sanctification continues as long as we live in this body. We fight sin daily. We see God's grace in fighting the enemy. O Christian, confess your sins to God and to one another. Pray as you fight sin. Pray in your alone time. Pray with your family. Pray with your fellow brother and sister. Pray as a church. Pray not only for yourself, but also for others. Pray for deliverance. Pray for those who do not know Christ. Pray for the King, the authorities established over us by God. Brother, sister, call Him. Remember God's character? 
that he is sovereign, he protects, and he answers our prayers. When we know our real battle and the real victory, the following words of Psalm 20 become, become so much more meaningful to us. Verse, in verse 5, the prayer of anticipation and faith for future victory continues. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. The people anticipate the victory and plan for joyous celebrations. They plan for an after party. They, they are so confident of winning the battle that they start telling God how they will celebrate this victory. They get excited. They want to celebrate with praise and exaltation, rallying flags for troops going into the battle. This expresses hope and trust in God's power even before the battle is won. This leads to our second application, celebrate Him. My dear brothers and sisters, Christians celebrate a greater victory. Jesus' victory on the cross over sin and death. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 53 to 57, and I will read this passage for us. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with, with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Friends, these verses should guide us and direct our celebrations. We should celebrate Him through our physical gatherings and through our prayers. Our meeting together and rejoicing should resonate the victory of the Lord. Our prayers should echo the psalms of praise. Our prayers should, should not just contain the battle cry, but also victorious shouts of praise. Let us now consider our second point. God is the object of our trust. God is the object of our trust. Let's, together, let's look together at verse 6. Now this I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. The narration now shifts to the first person. Did you notice that? The identity of the speaker in verses 6 to 8 is unclear. It could be the king himself, but more likely it represents the congregation speaking in one voice. The psalmist can trust God and pray confidently because he knows who God is and what God has done for his people. This verse also talks about the anointed king who was David. And I, I do not think this verse is pointing towards the Messiah, the future anointed one. 
However, the Bible does say that the followers of Christ are heirs of David. In the Old Testament, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13, God promised David that one of his descendants would reign on the throne of Israel forever. 2 Samuel 7, 12 and 13. When your days are over and, re and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This promise was fulfilled in Jesus, who is a descendant of David according to the flesh. Apostle Paul also teaches that followers of Christ are the heirs of this promise. In his letter to Romans, Paul writes in chapter 8, verse 17, Now if we are children, and then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So as heirs of God and, and joint heirs with Christ, believers of Jesus are also the heirs of the promise made to David. This means that through faith in Christ, we have the share in the eternal kingdom that God promised to establish through David's line. Isn't that amazing? Listen as I further read verses 7 to 9. That's the last section. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. Horses and chariots were the backbone of the armies in antiquity. Chariots were the ancient equivalent of modern-day tanks or fighter jets or even drones. Israel was not to put its trust on such things, nor are we. It is because we trust in the name of the Lord and the will of the Lord. He is all-sufficient to deliver us and to give us victory. God is the object of our trust. Church, let's be honest. Whom do we trust in our good times and in our bad times? Friends? Parents? Bosses? The law of the land? our bank reserves, our savings, immigration agencies or officers, fellow members, or even elders? If you do not trust God but others for your deliverance, it is sinful. The proud knees will fall, but those who trust in God will stand firm and celebrate the victory. Again, it is because of God's character that we see in verse 9. He hears our petition and answers. Church family, at EBC, we want to be a community that celebrates appropriately 
and praise biblically informed prayers. We want to be a community that, that prays not only during our gatherings, but, but in, in many casual ways by, by sending text messages, for example, or a quick voice note, or, or, or a phone call. Just don't say, I will pray for you. Just pray at that moment. Prayer is not an art. As some of, some of us may think, oh, I'm not good at prayer. God does not see how eloquent you are in your prayers. It doesn't matter what your language or vocabulary is. When, when a child is born, he cries. Unless he cries, he cannot breathe. Also through his cry, he communicates that he is hungry. And in, in, in response to his cry, the parents feed the baby. In the same way, for a person born into family of God, breath and food, which are prayer and the word of God, are vital for survival. John Onguchekwa writes in his book, Prayer, that prayer is breathing. He writes, if prayer is, is like breathing, then it isn't about our expertise. It's, a, it's, about, the ex, it's about our experience, uh, experiencing the power of the one whom we pray. It's about great expectations that grow in us when we have a genuine experience of God who hears and answers. He further writes, we don't need experts, and that's a strong encouragement to churches filled with many members and even pastors who feel like novices. Church, we don't need experts, but it is important that we pray. And passages like Psalm 20 is a good way to pray. EBC, let me encourage you to read. Pray because you are the sons and daughters of God Most High. Celebrate the victory of the Lord through prayer. Remember, the battle is won, and the mighty hand of God has delivered us. So my dear brothers and sisters, when you are in distress, call Him, worship Him, celebrate Him, trust and declare Him. For he gives us triumph in our trials through prayer. Amen? Amen. Let us pray then. Oh Father, we thank you for speaking to us. Let your word dwell richly in us. Let your Holy Spirit convict us of our sins and lead us to King Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Father, we praise you, we trust in you, and we celebrate your victory. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.